Welcome to Leadership Unleashed. Today's leaders must be experts in emotional intelligence, the art of persuasion, and masters of motivation. Each week, you'll hear hints and tips to help you develop confidence, build your identity, and your skills as a leader. Here's your host, authentic leadership expert, Leslie Hunter. Hi, and welcome to the show that is taking the world of leadership by storm, because we don't talk about leadership. We talk about the person who is at the core of this process, and we're here specifically to look at how to help you become a better and more effective and more authentic leader. And to do that, I talk to some of the most fascinating people in the business world at present, but they are real people, real leaders, people who are working at that cutting edge day in, day out. Now, I was speaking to somebody the other day who had been listening to the radio show and she commented that she suddenly got it, why it is being called Leadership Unleashed. So, two key reasons. One, because I want to unleash the leader from the process. So I want you to be thinking throughout this show and future shows about yourself as a leader, yourself as an individual, and how you behave and, and how you actually perform that, that state of being as a leader. But the second reason is that the majority of my guests, very carefully chosen, also share my passion and my passion for four-legged friends. So the majority of my guests, including the person we're talking to today, will have had some experience of having a household pet in the form of a dog. Today, my guest actually has two, and we'll be talking about those beautiful creatures. But why dogs? Well, it's an analogy. I am not for a minute suggesting that you as a leader should be taking everything we say literally. What I am suggesting is there's a lot, though, that we can learn from looking at our relationship and our working practices with dogs. So we're going to start unleashing this process straight away. And today I'm delighted to be joined by a friend and a colleague, somebody I've known for several years, Steve Houghton Burnett. Steve, welcome. Hi. Hi, Leslie. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, I'm delighted to have you on the show because you, Steve, I checked out your LinkedIn profile. As I say, I obviously know you, but I checked out your LinkedIn profile before recording this and it made me giggle. <laughs> it says you are the geek that speaks. Yep. Yep. You're the formula guy. Yep. But the bit that really got me. You said, I help small businesses to be disruptors in markets, and I help big businesses to learn from them. Yeah, that, that sums it up, I suppose, quite nicely. Right. Well, I don't understand any of that. So let's okay. start with Geek That Speaks. What does that mean? Um, I was the person who had a technical background, went into the techni technical side of stuff because I didn't want to deal with those awful things called people. <laughs> uh, and, you know, figured out that if I sat behind a computer monitor, people wouldn't bother you too much. The problem with that was, as a strategy, was it was rubbish. Uh, what, <laughs> Everybody came and asked you, how do well, you what, do this? My mouse isn't working. My... Well, 
What I actually found was the other geeks spoke less than me. Oh. So, so what then happened was I became the spokesman for the geeks. <laughs> then, uh, so I, I considered getting my passport changed to actually say professional technical translator. Oh, at one it point, fired on you, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, you've met me. We, you know, we've 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 known each other years. And um, for, for the listeners out there, I am six foot five and built like the side of a barn. <laughs> and and I've been a big, tall, you know, strapping is the polite way of putting it. Strapping bloke for uh, since I was eighteen, nineteen, and in my mid twenties, I, I made a decision. I was either going to spend my life trying to retire into the corner and hide in the shadows. Very oh, difficult for you, Steve. Well, well, well exactly. But, but you see a lot. You, you see a lot of big guys who do that. They you know, they walk out, walk around hunched yeah. over, try, mm. trying to make themselves smaller. Or I was going to stand in the middle of the room and I was going to be the beacon that everybody would would hang around. Um, and, I think you chose the latter, didn't you? Well, I'm not sure if I chose the latter or the latter chose me. And I think that's an important point for leadership. To be honest, I think I, I think. I think you've got choices about whether or not you want to put yourself out there as a leader. And I also think, though, there are some people out there who, no matter what they do, leadership finds them. They uh, find themselves being leaders. Um, and so for me, I'm, I made the decision that if I was going to be the, the most talkative of the geeks, then I should do that properly. And oh, okay, so that, that, that's the geek that, that speak bits. But what about the yeah. formula guy? Where do formulas that, come in? Uh, that's just, I, I've been fortunate enough to meet lots and lots of interesting people in my life. I've, you know, I've had a, a, a career that's taken me around the world. It's taken me to, to meet lots and lots of different interesting people. Uh, one of the questions that I often ask interesting people is, do they have a mantra that they live by? Is, is, is there any sort of no. phrase or saying that they live by? And... I'll often, you know, uh, if Trevor Bayliss, for example, the, the inventor, mm -hmm. um, he told me that for him it's boredom is death. Boredom is um, death. I like that. Yeah. Boredom is death. Um, uh, Dyson, uh, James yeah. Dyson, uh, I, ha I asked him the same question. He told me that if, if he had one mantra in life, it would be less is more. Less is more, which is a classic, which is, you know, fairly common, but... Actually, fairly common, but you can, you can, when you see James Dyson, you can, and you see what he produces... And his products, yeah. You, what, you can get it. So why is a mantra, why do you think then, so, so sorry, I'm going to make a, a leap here. So what you're doing is you're taking the mantras that these, these individuals, in effect, live by, and you're creating formulae from them to yeah, help it, understand it, that, yeah? It was just a real easy way for me to put a little cardex in my head, picture of the person and a reduced version of their mantra next to them. So it was just a shortcut for me in my head. And then somebody saw me do one on a piece of flip chart and they said, never seen anything like that before. Well, it's a, it's, it is. It's, I mean, it's a fabulous way, as you say, of, capt of capturing the essence of that, of almost that thinking process. Um, so do you think that every leader has a mantra? I think, I think, yes, I'm, I was going to qualify that, but the answer is yes. I think, I think all leaders have at least one mantra that they, they come back to time and time and time again. Okay. Um, I, I don't know whether I should ask you on air, do you have a mantra? <laughs> we'll come back to that at the end. We'll come back to that at the end. I'll let you think yeah. about it. 
because what what I, what I want to do is to is to look at this um, this strapline that you had of um, helping small businesses to be disruptors in markets. Yep. Now, I mean, I, I thought disruptor that that's quite an emotive word. So I, ch I checked out diction uh, dictionary definitions. Disruptor causes disorder, turmoil, interrupts can destroy and break apart. That was qualified by usually temporarily. But, I mean, disruptor, that's really quite a powerful piece of language. Why, why choose that word and what exactly does that mean? Um, I think the, the word is very accurate. Uh, ultimately, it is not big established corporations that change markets. It's, okay. It is small startups who haven't got an ego to worry about, haven't got a bunch of shareholders to worry about, haven't got their reputation in a particular market to worry about, and ask the most important question that anybody can ever ask if they want to disrupt a marketplace, and that Jeez. is, why not? Why not? Why not? And, you know, you know, I used to think why was the most important question, the most powerful question that you had. But actually, I've discovered over the years that why not is probably more powerful. And so, so disruption happens and it is often in, in, it's forced upon others. And that's why disruption in this context is important. So I, I love working with small businesses that have got big ideas, who want to make big changes in the world, often they will rely on technology, which is where my background you know, is, so I can use my background to help them do that. Uh, but they do. They do want to pull markets apart. They do want to rip up the sheet and start again. They do want to make sure that what happens is they get noticed. Instagram. Instagram sold for $2 billion, and it had 13 employees. Now, that means that there's something happening in terms of the, the leadership as a process, but the individuals in that business as leaders. Do, are you suggesting that, that the individuals have like a disruptor gene in them or something I, in their DNA? That... I, it's a niche. It, the best way I can describe it is it's an itch that you have to scratch. <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, you, you've seen it with Kino. I've seen it with Cowboy and with Smudge. And just for, for, uh, for everybody, Cowboy and yeah. Smudge are your two dogs. Yeah. yeah, they're my two dogs. But, but you've, you've seen it, haven't you? You've seen the dogs sit there and they've, no matter what you do, no matter what you say to them, they've just got to scratch that itch. <laughs> and, and no matter what you say to them, it doesn't matter. They have to scratch that itch there and then. And when I work with disruptors and, and small businesses that are acting as disruptors, that, that they just have a passion. They have to solve this problem. They have to change the world. Often they don't want to. They they don't want to cause a problem for other people. So In they're fact, not mavericks. Well, the, the, maverick is an interesting term as well. I think they are maverick, but but what they're not is they're not mercenary. It's okay. not about it's uh -huh. not about well, come up with a neat idea and make a load of money. It's right. often, this does not work for me. And if it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work for other people. There must be a better way of doing it. So, so, so why is, what is it then that, that, that try and capture for me the essence? If somebody is a leader in, in that context, what, yes, you, you say they've got the passion. Is it their questioning skills? Is it their critical evaluation? Is it their lack of attention span? It's, it's actually resilience. 
resilience. Resilience. Um, what happens when you are disruptive? When you create some sort of disruptive uh, paradigm that people, you know, can understand, the first thing that happens is, is people start to look at it and the naive approach they fall in love with. So we're going to change It's usually this. quite simple, isn't it? It appears quite simple. But actually, for a disruptor to get from their initial thoughts on the topic to actually making it accepted by the market, that can take up to eight, ten years. And I would imagine there's a lot. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with resilience. I can imagine there's a lot of resistance because you, people might embrace the concept of it. Wouldn't it be nice to change or to have something do something differently? But yeah. actually, this, I'm quite comfortable. This is the way we do things around here. And yeah. you know, that, that old adage of, you know, the culture that's quite embedded. And often it requires people outside of an established organization to do that. So uh, the reason I cited Instagram, um, 13 people selling a business, was they actually did that. And Instagram's all about photography and photo mm -hmm. images, as we know. Mm -hmm. But they, they sold that business. 13 people sold a business that was all about digital photography. They sold it three months after Kodak who had invented digital photography 20 yeah. years previously, went into receivership. Now, there's a good link there because I do um, some teaching on a, a master's program that's all based around leading innovation. And Kodak is one of the case studies that we actually use as an example of an organization that didn't innovate particularly well and as a consequence was, was left in the marketplace and overtaken by others some of whom you would you would class as your disruptors. So what's the difference then between being a disruptor as a leader and being an innovator? Or is there a difference? Yes, uh, um, innovation can, can happen within an organization and it can be step change. There, there is a whole, you know, a lot of people think of innovation as brand new thinking. Actually, my experience of innovation within organizations, especially bigger organizations, again, is it tends to be more evolution than revolution. Yeah. So, so you can have evolutionary innovation um, and and it's, it tends to be incremental, doesn't it? Incremental. And it's, and it's, and it's, an, and it's an incremental process. Whereas disruption says, here's a whole, here's a, it could be, here's a solution for something you didn't even realize was a problem. But now we've told you about it. It's that itch that you've just got to scratch. You've got to use, <laughs> you've got to use, you've got to use <laughs> our solution because now you know about it. There's no unknowing it. Uh, and, and, or equally, the other side of that could be the way that we do this is so ingrained we're just going to change that. We're just going to change it completely and give you a new, a new method. What's interesting is, and one of the things that I've discovered about, about disruption, is there are two, there are two different discrete element, elements to disruption. One is whatever it is that you are disrupting, the process, the product, mm -hmm. the service. Mm -hmm. But the other one is the method of disruption. Now, methods of disruption are borrowable. But borrowable? Borrowable. You can borrow it. You can, if you see a method of disruption that's worked in one market, you can take that method of disruption and apply it in your market. So okay. I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. So it's like, it's like modeling. It's saying what's worked in yeah. one place in, in that market and, and what can I do here? Give me an example in a second. I just want to, I just want to go back and, and check this out. I'm saying that we've got a clear distinction between process and person, leadership and leader. 
Yep. We've talked, you've mentioned innovation. And again, I'm very clear that innovation is a process. There are some yep. models, models, you know, recognized models out there, but innovators tend to be leaders in in that organization, or they tend, to, if they're outside an organization, they're the entrepreneur. So, you know, we get into the realms of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. Yep. Disruption, am I right again in saying that it's a process and there yep. are disruptors? Now, the disruptors may be businesses in a, in a market or sector context, but there will be disruptors who are individuals as, as oh, it again, yes? Absolutely. I, I, I was, um, uh, there's an interesting piece of research from a, from a guy called Donald Tosti. Um, and yeah, T-O-S-T-I. Uh, he surveyed a significant number of businesses over an 11-year period. The businesses were across multiple continents. They were different sizes. The smallest business that he worked with and interviewed was uh, 10 people big. The, the biggest had 110,000 people in it. Mm -hmm. So so as research goes, it's cross-cultural, it's cross-sector. It's quite and generalized. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's very generalized. And, and Tosti concluded that there were four types of people in an organization. He, he concluded that there was effectively the walking dead, people with very low energy. <laughs> there were people with very low energy and a very poor attitude. The walking dead. I love that. <laughs> then he said there were people with a great attitude but very low energy, and they were spectators in the business. Um, right. So, yes, they, they, they've got the attitude they've got. And by attitude, we mean the... the they're the sort of people, they're the sort of people who, when, whenever there's something going on, whenever there's an initiative, they're the ones who slap you on the back and go, go for it, boss, I'm right behind you. But they're always yeah. behind you. But they're, they're yeah. always behind you. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Tosti said then, if you've got a great attitude and loads of energy, then in a business, you're a player. You are one of the players. You mm -hmm. are one of the people. We all know it. If ever we're putting a, a project team together, there's always five people whose hands goes up first. Yeah. You know, they, are, they are the players. Yeah. And, then this, and then this bottom segment, the people with a lot of energy, but a very poor attitude, he regarded them as cynics or terrorists. Um, right. Now, I, I've done some other add-on research to Tosti's because I was mislabeled. I, in my, my corporate life, which I had for a few years before I got into being an entrepreneur, I was labeled by a boss as being a terrorist. And actually, yeah. I, think that the, I think there's a fifth type of person, and that is the disruptor. I think a terrorist or a cynic often is very negative in their attitude. And what they're doing is they're trying to hold the, the, the company they're working into account. They're trying to prove that their relationship, the relationship that the company has with its employees doesn't work. They're often trying to, often trying to, hold the company accountable for other things it hasn't it hasn't actually stood up to and delivered on now no. that's different to a disruptor that's different yes I, i'm getting the distinction there and and this is really this is really interesting because oh i i so often i'm asked to work with organizations where i'm called in and i may be working with somebody senior in the organization and they'll say to me i need you to work with person x over there in my team because they're being disruptive okay. or they're being difficult or that they're upsetting the dynamics and the working of the team and typically my response is well actually i should be working with you because you as the leader are the person who should be resolving this this situation and and what you're making me realize now is that that person is being labeled quite often as a problem yeah 
Yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you're turning this round and looking at that person as a potential leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just going in if, a new direction. For me, if they're a cynic or, you know, terrorist, then uh, you still should put effort into them, actually. Most companies focus their leaders on trying to get the spectators off the fence and get them active. Get more players, get yeah, the spectators get, to become the players. Actually, yeah. actually the, these terrorists have actually got quite a lot of energy already and they're, they're using it. They're just not using it in the way that you want them to use it. They are actually where you should put your efforts as a business. But let's, let's put the terrorists to one side, the cynics to one side and say, the difference between a terrorist cynic and a disruptor is a disruptor constantly asks why why are we doing it this way why does it have to happen this way why can't we improve it why not why why can't we have a new way of doing this why can't we look at new ways of implementing this why can't we have and you're quite right if you can get those disruptors often what i will do when i'm i, I identify someone like that is my profile on LinkedIn says I work with small businesses that disrupt and I work with big businesses. Big business that, to uh, learn from them, yeah. What I often do in a, a large organization with those types of people is we create something called a skunk works. Right. And, and now I know what skunk works is, again, because I, I'm involved in teaching on yep. innovation programs. Very briefly, very briefly, because we've only got a, a short period of time yep. left now, explain skunk works and why that is important for leaders. Okay. Skunk, skunk works is just a small or isolated team who are taken out of the business to work on particular problems that the business wants yeah. solving. That's yeah. what a skunk works is. Yeah. Um, but often you'll find disruptors make great leaders in skunk works because what they do very quickly in that small isolated environment is they get other people freed up and loosened up so that they're not still thinking in their corporate cubicle. So what we're saying is there's a strategy here for businesses and organizations to consider. And rather than doing the traditional looking at the, the individual as a, as a potential problem and a thorn in the side. And yeah, I mean, we all know the person who keeps saying, well, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And eventually the answer is because we do. That's the way we do it. Yeah, there <laughs> you I mean, go. Even the most effective leaders have a tolerance <laughs> where, yep. they, where they hit that wall. But then it, it switches from being a leader to being a manager because it's a case of just do it, do it, do it my way and, and get on with it. But what you're saying is we're missing a trick potentially to capture this, this creativity, this innovation, this inquisitiveness. And although disruption, it might be disrupting the day-to-day -day comfortable running, it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity. It's, all, it's, it's all about where you focus your energy, isn't it? If I've got somebody with that much energy and who, who is that questioning, why don't I focus them on, go look at what the problems in our competitors are and tell us how we can beat that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that, just where you focus the energy. And that's a key skill for any leader is to say, how do I strategically use my, my team, my, yeah. my staff, and, and capitalize on their, their interests and their energy? Yeah, very much. I would, and I would absolutely say it's the responsibility of the leader to do that. And, and the reason I say that is imagine, imagine that your team are a set of golf clubs in a bag. And every one of your team has a different function, doesn't it? They, they all do different things. They do Some of them do the same thing differently, but they all do different things, and they bring different skills to the game. 
Are they not all just bits of wood with metal on the end that you whack this ball with? Well, <laughs> There's my... <laughs> but, but they are specialised yeah. in the way that they whack that, bit of that ball, aren't they? Yes. So, for me, if you as a leader can't make use of your disruptor, that's like having one of the best clubs in the world in your bag and never taking it out and using it. So whose fault is that? Is it the club's fault or is it the golf player's fault? Right, but Steve, there's another, there's another angle there that you could look at, which is that I know some people who play golf uh, who could go around a, a course and only use three or four clubs. So there could be a club sitting in their bag that they never, ever use. And yep. it might just be because it's a bit too hard or they don't quite know how to, you know, how to work with it. And I would imagine that's the category into which these disruptors get put. And everybody has the right to play an average game of golf and never be a world champion. Now, you yeah, just... So, so it, but it, the question is, do you want to be a world-class golfer? Do you, Because I can bet you that Tiger Woods uses every club in his bag, and I bet you that Tiger Woods knows how to use every club in his bag and knows how to get the best out of it. Yeah, but he's having a so, bad time at the moment. <laughs> but, 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 uh, Leslie, good leaders can have bad times. Bad leaders can't mm. have good ones. You That's, know? I like that. I like that. You know, uh, and so, so I always think it's, it's you know, resilience, responsibility, the two things that leaders have you asked me what my formula was yes uh, right at the beginning my, my mantra what my mantra is my mantra is real straight straightforward my favorite mantra the one that i live by is leadership is action not position absolutely i like uh, that and, and and so it's up to the leader to take action it's up to the leader to try and figure out a disruptor is like every other member of the team they've got tools they've got skills they've got a, a, a view it's up to you as the leader to make the best use of that person. And if you can't, if you haven't got the skills to make the best use of that person, it's also your responsibility to help them find somewhere where they can yeah. be used. Yeah, now that, I, I like that. Um, it's, about the, it's about the action, not the, not the position, because um, too many people get put into leadership positions we're seeing this happen through restructuring, redundancies, cutbacks in organizations, etc. And again, I work with so many people who are being asked to be leaders and they'd never aspired to be a leader. They're suddenly in a leadership position, so they've got the job title, they've got the status, but they, they've got to a degree in the food chain <laughs> some authority, yeah. but that doesn't make them a leader. All that does is make them, to me, use another analogy, a bit like a rabbit in a headlight, because they're in a position that very often they, first of all, didn't want to be in, and secondly, they just don't understand how to behave yeah. in that way. Now, talking about disruptors, disruptors, therefore are the individuals who challenge. They challenge, they push the boundaries, they, they, they raise the questions. Yep. So you've just introduced a new member of your family fairly recently, haven't you? Yeah, we you, have. You have, and you mentioned Smudge and Cowboy earlier. And, I mean, I, I've met your dog, Smudge, and I have to say Smudge is a bit like Tigger on speed. Yep. Yes. Because <laughs> Smudge is what breed? 
Uh, Smudge is a cross uh, terrier and husky. Yes, and she, I mean, she just has energy abundance, doesn't she? She, she has the best or the worst of, of both uh, both sides of her gene pool, which is, <laughs> okay. she, she is smart and stubborn. Okay. Um, now, you've just introduced, though, a different dynamic. So, in essence, you've now got a team or a pack, and you've yep. just introduced Cowboy. Tell me about Cowboy. Uh, Cowboy's a, an American Akita. His mother is a therapy dog. Uh, his father is uh, six foot five on his hind legs. Wow, a so, bit like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Cowboy is very placid, very big, very calm, very stable. Uh, Smudge has got two speeds. She's got fast and manic. Fast Cow- and manic. <laughs> yeah. Cowboy's got two speeds. He's got slow and stop. Fantastic. Um, so, <laughs> And, and and we couldn't have had two dogs that are poles apart, really. Right. So, who's the disruptor in that in that scenario? Um, well, Smudge was the established dog, and Cowboy has come in and disrupted that. Uh, mm. And initially, it was that whole there's there's something new here that's going to get attention. She looked like she was going to be a little bit jealous, but actually, she, she's now gotten used to the fact that there's this other you know dog in the field, and. I would say she's a happier dog for it. Um, she still gets to be manic. So what we have is we have a, a thing where we, we call it zooming, where Smudge just <laughs> zooms. She zooms here, she zooms there. Um, and, and every so often she gets herself into a bit of a frenzy and she just has to go and zoom. So mm-hmm. she will zoom all the way around the garden. She'll do laps of the garden. Cowboy will sit in the middle. And watch her. <laughs> well, what, what else is funny is not only does he watch her, he keeps his backside planted on the turf, but he, his front paws go round in a circle so he can actually watch her do the circuit. Do the circuit. So it's his version of zooming. It's just well, at his pace and his speed. If they both walked in and you could speak to them, they would both tell you they've been round the garden 15 times. They both right. believe they've been round the garden 15 times. <laughs> and and that's, that's part of it for me. He, he, uh, he gets a lot of joy from seeing her do those things and she gets a lot of joy from being able to to do that in front of him and and then they play together she'll she'll often the circles get smaller and tighter and then you'll know she's going to jump on him and then he knows she's going to jump on him and that look of anticipation so whilst he's been the disruptor she's actually she's responded to that in a positive way and it's changed the way that she operates as a, as a dog and I'd say ultimately she's become happier for it. Right. But as, a, as the leader in that sense, because you, yep. you, you've been the leader within that, that environment, yep. you surely had to, um, I mean, you had to think very, very carefully about handling this disruption. Because I, yes. I know that, I mean, I'm, I'm not for a minute suggesting that if you put somebody new into a team in a, in a workplace that they will necessarily behave like, like smudge and run around and create mm-hmm. mayhem, although we all know people that do. Yep. And we also know people that will come in and just sit down, sit back and watch. Watch. A bit like yep. Cowboy. Yep. Uh, but as the leader of any team, or in this case, a pack, albeit a pack of two, what, what was the key challenge that you had to face? What did you have to think about as a leader? I, I had to very quickly figure out that all the stuff that we did when we were training Smudge as a youngster was not going to work the same way with Cowboy. So, right. so I had to, you know, 
and, and this is interesting, I think a lot of people who are new to leadership have a real question about, if I change my style or my approach with each member of my team, does that mean I'm not authentic? Aha, that's a really <laughs> common problem. That's a really, really good question. And actually, I'd say what, you, what I was authentic about was the principles of what I wanted. I knew what I wanted. I know what I want from both of the dogs, but I may have to just explain it to them in different ways to get it from them. And your so, mantra, leadership is, you know, being the leader is the action, action. and taking the most appropriate action, action. in each exactly. case, as opposed to the fact that I'm the leader, therefore it will work like this. Exactly. See, that's brilliant. And that analogy has really, really helped to understand how disruption could go very, very wrong. But actually, if it's handled and led effectively, it can, it can be a really positive influence. Well, a little I, uncomfortable I, at times, maybe. I would say that disruption is a risk and taking a destructive approach is a risk. But the biggest risk is actually putting the blinkers on and ignoring what's happening. That's so. fabulous. So, Steve, that's been absolutely brilliant. You've given us lots of, of tips, insights and food for thought. But if I was to ask you to leave the listeners with one key message, one key message about disruptors, what would that be? Okay. I, th I think it's a simple message, really. I want you to picture two dogs standing in a field. I want you to picture a massive, huge dog, something like a Leonberger. And I want you to picture standing next to it, a Chihuahua. And okay. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question, Leslie. If you were standing five miles away and those two dogs were barking, which of the two dogs are you going to hear? The, the big one. You're going to hear the big and actually it's no different if you're the leader of an organization if you're the leader of an organization that takes disruption seriously and you want to disrupt you have to be the biggest disruptor in your business as the leader you've got to be out there leadership is action not position you've got to be the biggest disruptor and you've got to encourage the other disruptors along with you fantastic Wow. So the leader has to be the biggest disruptor. That's given us lots to think about. Uh, I know that there is a particular project that you're involved with that is going to create massive disruption. <laughs> and I don't want to let the, the uh, let's go into another analogy here. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag just, just yet. But there is something that you're getting involved in that I definitely want to talk to you about, about again. So I'm going to um, ask you now, would you be prepared to come back? Uh, I think we'll be airing round about the end of November and we can get the list, let the listeners try yeah. and work out for themselves. What happens round about the end of November? that we could perhaps be talking about and linking back to being, being a disruptor. So, Steve, that's been fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, Leslie. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, please go and give both Smudge and Cowboy a big hug from me. And I'll speak to you again very, very soon. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Leslie and her book, Who Put You in Charge? Go to lesliehunter.com. There you can also join the pack, a free membership group where you'll receive regular hints and tips from Leslie, as well as access to some great leadership resources. So how are you doing as a leader? See how you measure up by downloading Leslie's free iPad app, the Effective Leader Scoreboard, available on iTunes. We'll see you next week for another edition of Leadership Unleashed. Leadership Unleashed.